Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Liz Suji graduated with a bachelor's degree in linguistics from University of California, Berkeley. She spent five years at Burkhardt Company and at the Industry Council for Small Business Development. She worked at Crown Zellerbach in advertising and sales promotions and went on to start her own small business called Keystone Gifts. During her career, she was the vice chair of the Minority Business Enterprise Input Committee of the Western Regional Supplier Diversity Council, and they were focused on outreach to Asian business owners and diversity certification education. She participated in their supplier academy and wrote a guide to understanding diversity classifications and certifications. Now retired, she's been married for 45 years with three kids and four wonderful grandchildren including many hobbies that she's looking forward to getting back to in her retirement, including wax jewelry, ceramics, and a host of others. Please join me this week on the podcast by welcoming Liz Suji. So welcome, Liz, and thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm happy to talk to you, Melissa. This is such a big subject. It's a big subject and it's an important subject. And it's even more important now, you know, we're on the cusp of so many changes. We just do not even know what it's going to be like tomorrow. I find that so amazing. I mean, I guess I feel like it's going to be better tomorrow. That's my optimistic view. Yes. Well, we can hope for that for sure. (laughs) We all want things to be better. So we definitely need to make sure that we move in that direction. So I'm so interested in your background. You have been one of my many mentors over the years, I think I've known you probably for at least two or three decades at this point. Yes, I think we've known each other since I started my company. So that's like 28 years. Now it's 30. There you go. So, amazing, isn't it? Yes, time flies. So tell me, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you not only do you have such an interesting background, but you have worked so much when it comes to supplier diversity with you know certifications. And I know you spent a lot of time with, um, I want to say it was the input committee for the rest, Western region mm-hmm. diversity. Yes, I, did. I spent a lot of time. So maybe you can talk a little bit about you know how you got there, even just your your background of your your own small business. And then, you know, how much of a focus you, you spent on diversity and inclusion. Right. Well, um, when I first started my business in 1992, I approached Levi Strauss. I had worked with them when I worked for Burkhardt Company. So I went to them when I was starting my own company. I just said, I would like to have your business. And the, it was a pretty large department. And, and it, it was a department based on diversity and inclusion. Uh, And they had to think about it. They said, well, you know, we owe some loyalty to the Burkhart company. On on the other hand, everything we've done has been with you personally. So they said, okay, you may, we we will give you our business, but we want you to join the Western Regional Minority Development. I mean, it's the NSMDC. It's complicated, but 
they are the certifier of minority businesses. So I went through the certification to prove that I was a legitimate minority owned business. And um, in those days, and this, this was 1992, they had people who then said, oh, okay, you're certified, you're working with us, we want to help you get as much business in Levi as you can manage. And um, they would, you know, I had a person that I worked with, a person named Josephine, and she would say, you know what, I've been looking at your numbers, and you don't seem to be doing anything with marketing, you're doing all this stuff with the training. And I'm going to introduce you to a few people. And that's, you know, that's that's like a wonderful mentor relationship where somebody's looking at your stats and saying, I think I can help you here and I can introduce you here and see what they're doing. Now, I will say in the whole purchasing process, people get to make their own decisions. And it's not, you know, very few times in a, in a corporation can a buyer or a human relations person or whatever say, you must do business with this company, that people will fight that like crazy. But um, I had somebody who was a mentor to try to help me, and that was amazing. Now, Levi Strauss has changed a bunch since then. I mean, they, and eventually, all of the headquarters people there in, in at Levi Plaza, they're all gone now. They're in other places, and things have changed. I mean, there's all kinds of things have changed. It's gone back and forth. So I lost that relationship over the years. But I knew what it was when it was happening. It was a wonderful thing. So that's... Yeah. Yeah, you know, the however, interestingly enough, people who've been at Levi moved to another company that you and I both really know. And they said, okay, we'd like you to do business with us. And I said, oh, some other salesperson has that account and I'll help them, you know, whatever. And again, they said, no, 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 we want to do business with you, Liz Suji. So they introduced me. And that's how I met you, Melissa, because, you know, it was, I don't know who you talked to. You talked to somebody and gave them my name. And then then we started talking. And I have to say, my whole business life has been that way. It's been through referrals. And, you know, there's all this stuff about social media and what have you. I, I mean, I do all of that. But really, when you get right down to it, it's still the person-to-person relationships. And people have to trust you to buy from you. They have to know that you have their interests at heart. And I think that's still true in a good relationship, that any relationship, I mean, for that matter, even your doctor, you have to have some trust that what's that's, that person is really for you. And uh, I would say uh, I joined these associations. The One of them I joined is the Industry Council for Small Business Development, which is very big in the San Jose area. All the big defense companies belong. And they are under the gun to do a certain amount of um, business. And so they, they sponsor the industry council. And I also worked with, um, the Western regional supplier development council. And, and that was where you were, they were focused on outreach to Asian business owners and diversity certification education, right? That was like a big deal for what they were doing. I don't know what time frame that was, but let's see, I've been doing that really. Starting in the 2000s, I think. But, you know, when you get right down to it, I'm not sure how much business... I mean, it's not like you can say, oh, I got business from that. Right. I got some visibility and that should help you get business. But I didn't see such a direct relationship. So I still think that the most of the business that I ever got while working for 30 years was through personal relationships that I developed and actually that the salespeople who worked for me developed. and 
interestingly, sometimes even if a salesperson would leave, I would still keep the relationship because they felt that Keystone Gifts was helping them work through the relationship so that it didn't automatically mean that I would say I didn't always have an exact direct relationship with each client I ever had. But they know that you're going to do things a certain way. And that's actually, I put down on my little bio, I put down influential books for an entrepreneur because there's, a, there's um, let's see, I put down The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, which is really a classic. And one of the things he talks about is, and this is an old book now, but it's been revised many times. And he has a whole training business based on that book and a couple of revisions. But he says, if you build, you should build so that you're always consistent. You always do things in a way that is your customers are going to be comfortable with. So I had a system set up and I made all the salespeople follow and all the, everybody in the organization worked in the same set of rules. And uh, that gives people comfort. They feel like they, they will get things done the way they want and that, you know, that you will handle all problems for them. Those are things that it takes a while to establish that rapport. But once you have it, it really is good. And that's the basis for many referrals I've gotten over the years. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because um, I was in a meeting not long ago and one somebody told me that, you know, they kind of looked around and noticed that all of their clients looked like they did. And mm. their their clients weren't diverse and they were trying to figure out how do I shift things around to create the diversity that I want. So, you know, when you're talking about personal referrals, you can see how that can have an impact on, you know, lots of the ways that you do business. So then can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you experienced in your career? Well, um, I graduated from Berkeley in 69 and started, I decided to take a break. And actually I went to Saigon and I worked for a Buddhist relief agency. I did that for six months, but that was as much as I could take. At six months, I thought, wait a minute, I think I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. So I came back, but I was very business oriented then. And I I went to work for a couple of large corporations at various jobs. And um, I was really, I thought, okay, this is what I want. I want to make money. And um, I I still feel that way. I think it's perfectly healthy to want to make money, want to be profitable. So um, that was the path that I took. And um, I was mentored at large corporation by many people who were in the organization and it was kind of informal and, and it was a big paper company at Crown Cellar back. They're no longer around, but they were around for many years and they were huge. They, uh, I worked in a marketing department where um, I was one of eight marketing managers. I was the only woman. See, I was the only minority. I was younger than them. They were all white guys who are over six feet tall. I mean, honestly, they were all over six feet tall, except for one guy. So it was- And, and you're kind of short. I'm kind of short. <laughs> I'm five feet tall. So, um, you know, you couldn't put more- uh, Oh, the other thing that, about these guys were they were all ex-Air Force officers. And so the head of the division felt that he himself was an ex-Air Force officer and he felt he could trust other ex Air Force officers. I mean, and as a matter of fact, you see that pattern. Right. I've, I've worked for a guy who, um, he himself was not Mormon, 
but he really felt that Mormon managers were very good managers. And I agreed with him, you know, for one, you know, for various reasons. And the thing was, they kept hiring more Mormon managers. So there is something happening there. And uh, I think people are more prone to, yes, you know, yes, pull in yes, yes. their own type or, you know, which is why I think it's really challenging at some, you know, to really challenge your own thinking about diversity and inclusion. Because you do have, I mean, I think everybody has that tens- tendency to want to just pull in somebody that's like them. Yes. Yes. Because you start to feel trust for for even some ways that you don't even talk about. But I, um, I worked for this, this very great group of guys. I mean, they were wonderful guys and they actually did a lot of training to me personally. I mean, you know, things like I had never done an expense report. I'd never had a, I'd never had a company car. So they were like, okay, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do this. I mean, you know, that is the kind of onsite training that actually I would say if you're new to a corporate environment and you're a minority, you may not know any of those things. And uh, so I, I feel like I, I learned a lot from them. And the other thing that I got from them, that which was so wonderful, is that they always had a big training budget, but these guys were always like flaking out. Oh no, I have to fly to New York. So then they go, okay, who would like to go to this training program? And I would always sign up. So I worked for Crown Zellerbeck for 12 years and maybe, let's see, seven or eight of them was in this marketing department. I got thousands and thousands of dollars worth of training for free. I mean, you know, which when you own a small business, it's hard to say, okay, I will forego this. So I will go to this training session or I will send my people to a training session. So that's one of the things that if you're working for a large corporation, you might as well try to get that. And so I learned a lot of stuff about how to make presentations, how to deal with hostile questions, how, you know, things that really matter. And those are not particularly minority things, but they're things that um, not everybody gets training on. And it, it's something that's really useful for people to learn. And that's what I would, I would say that to new people that, you know, you're starting, you want to start a business, you have a great idea. You need more than a great idea. You need to have some tools and they're all very achievable. You just have to say, okay, I need to know something about finance. I need to know something about how to manage people. I, you know, the, that's actually the e-myth that, that he says, even if you're just one person, you have about four different hats you must wear. And if you leave any of them out, you're not going to make it. And I think that's really true. You know, some people don't, they, um, they have a great idea, but they don't have marketing background or they have a great idea. They don't know how to put it into practice or they don't know have a great idea, but they don't know how to count beans, which is a very important part of it. You know, so that's why I really like that book. And I also um, put down oh, the Four Agreements. Have you ever read that book? Yes, I have. And I love that book because yes, it's really you know, good. So you read the whole book. There are only about twenty-five words that really, really matter. And you know, <laughs> I'm a great believer in the aphorism school of management that things need to be cut back to the simplest haiku kind of description and then you'll remember it but you know he one of his things was you are you should always be impeccable in what you what you say that it should always be the truth and i that's i believe in that and i believe that's very very hard to do and one of the people one of the things people don't trust with salespeople is that 
they don't believe in, a lot of many salespeople do not believe in that. You can kind of see their eyes go just a little funny and they'll be lying to you. Yeah. And also <laughs> politicians, same thing. But um, I, I really believe that, that I will not lie to a client, to a client and they know that. And if um, sometimes it's very hard to say it, you have to think about the best way to speak the truth, but yeah, yeah you still have to tell the truth. And the other agreements are um, be impeccable in what you say. Uh, don't th- take things personally, which I don't. So even if somebody's kind of insulting me, I just go, oh, just let's move on. Because it doesn't really do you any good to get seriously offended. Instead, you're trying to find a way to make it work. So that's a different subject altogether. But I like the four agreements because it's all, it, you know the 25 words can be very, very useful in almost any situation. Yeah, for sure. Well, how, so how difficult was it for you to start your own business? And, and you know, and I mean, you had it for, what was it? 20, 28 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, I worked for, I, I eventually left Prince Auto back and I went to work for a, um, a distributor who was a woman, it was a woman owned company and she was somebody I knew and actually my parents knew. So I started to work for her and I did very well, which was kind of a shock because I'd never done sales. And I did very well. And then she sold the business to some guys who I just did not get along with. So I was kind of stuck there. I was like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. And uh, um, I don't know if I ever told you this story, Melissa, but I was kind of moaning and groaning to my daughter, Maya, who was, uh, I think she was 11 or 12 at the time. And she said to me, you know, mom, you know, we have this rental that you're just selling and your plan is to sell the rental and sell the house in San Bruno and move to San Mateo. Why don't we just stay in, in San Bruno and you can use the money to start your own business? Honest to goodness. She said this to me. Yes, wow. she did. So then I said, well, wait a minute. I, a wise, I wise 11-year-old. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought about it. I said, okay, I can do this. I mean, because I myself really didn't have this entrepreneurial urge. I was trying to re- kind of get out from a bad situation, but I knew I could sell. I had confidence in myself for that. I had great clients. I felt there was some serious loyalty there. And I I just did it. That's I mean, I so I started with a little bit of money that I had, you know, by hook or by crook gotten. And I would say that one of the things when you start a business is people think they can start it with other people's money. And boy, it, I it I don't know under what circumstances that works out really well, but usually, especially for minority businesses, it's hard. You need to have assets. And um, that's one of the things I would always recommend to people. Have assets of some kind. A house is really good. And then then go look for loans uh, and lines of credit when you don't need money. Right. That's the best way to start a business. Um, that's not always possible. Um, um, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but one of the few ways that the government actually will give you money is the small business. See, it's an SBA program for buying an office building. As long as you uh, occupy it, and there are certain statistics about how much you occupy and all this other stuff, and you must be the primary owner, primary uh, occupant, they will underwrite a 10% down purchase of a building. And uh, that's a very good way to create an asset for yourself at a much lower rate because that 20% is a very huge threshold, especially in, in the Bay Area. 
but to do a 10% loan. And they'll actually, they will actually let you buy a building that's maybe a little rundown and include the renovations in the loan. So uh, that's an old program, but I just heard them talk about it a couple of years ago. It's still around. So interesting. I did and a that. Lot of, and a lot of min- minorities certainly um, sometimes don't even get the information to be able to take advantage of yes, those types yes. of programs. Yes. And I would say minorities, well, you know, it's hard to make generalizations, but, but a, part, a minority person who's going to start a business, they have to think about all of the other parts of a business that they need to run besides having a great idea. And uh, there, it's, that's where it's good to go to like the Western Regional Group or the Industry Council does some great training too. And they will help you to figure out these things because there's so much paperwork. Uh, we, are, we were, when I had the business, we were um, certified by the, the West, the, the West, Western the exact Regional name. Oh no, the Supplier, supplier Clearinghouse. Oh, yeah, okay. the Supplier Clearinghouse is another group and they certify both minorities and women. And that certification can get you in the door with all of the public utilities, which is PG&E, which is the um, communications companies like Verizon, AT&T. Get you in the door means you get a hearing. It doesn't particularly mean you get business. And uh, all of those things require a lot of paperwork. So if you're not comfortable with doing paperwork, you, you're going to have problems. But you could find somebody who will do that for you, or you could, I mean, that would be pay, or you can see if you can find interns who can help you with stuff like that. I think those are options, but there's paperwork for any of those things. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. That is so interesting because when you think about you know, small business, there are, I mean, as you said, you're wearing many hats, but there's, you know, would, are there other suggestions you might provide for the group as they think about diversity and inclusion? I mean, you being a small business owner, I think in some cases we think about large corporations and what they can do to influence diversity and inclusion what are some of the things that small business owners can do? Well, let's see. Um, when you're working with corporations, large, I mean, because there's, I mean, there's lots of kinds of clients, but many people think that they only want large corporations. That is the toughest nut to crack. And so the, the corporations are saying, we want small businesses, but they're not really set up to embrace small businesses. As a matter of fact, you remember there was a time when my largest company, corporation that I worked with said to me, we are streamlining our purchasing to um, strategic purchasing, not just global purchasing, and you're out. And I was like, what? So I was one of their largest minority vendors. And we're a little company, but they did not have much minority business. But I went to not um, a person in supplier diversity, because, well, I didn't do that. I went to an SVP. I just happened to know like a teeny bit because her people worked with me. And I said, they're about to knock me off. So she personally uh, worked on it and saved me. But the thing is that 
what they were trying to do was say, okay, we only want three vendors of promotional products and um, you didn't make the cut and we want three big ones. Well, that's that kind of ruling, which is actually not that uncommon, is very hard on small businesses and minority businesses and women-owned businesses. So the thing is, I would say, if a large corporation can carve out little niches so that they can, that will, that will enable them to give small businesses a chance to show themselves, then it's not as high risk for the corporation and it's an opportunity for the small business. What they often will say is, oh, why don't you become a subcontractor? And that's, that is so unhelpful because I've been to many meetings where, where the minority subcontractors are going, when are we going to get paid? And how come you keep pushing me on to, to be a subcontractor when I never get paid as a subcontractor? And, uh, you know, it, I don't know that that's true for everybody, but I know when, whenever there's a meeting, that's the subject that comes up first. I worked with um, East Bay Mud for years. The, their programs have changed so much recently, partly because, you know, they've had these, all these financial issues themselves. But East Bay Mud used to have somebody who did their, um, on cubicles, you know how there's a little sign that tells you the name of the person? And they had a particular vendor who just, you know, he, they just made up little signs and people would order for, from them and put the signs up and they would put the signs up. Well, in their um, system of uh, streamlining their suppliers, they cut this company out and they went back and they protested and they said, well, you know what? We've done this for years. We've done a great job on it. So PG, uh, excuse me, uh, East Bay Mud, at that time, they did a program. They said, okay, we're going to carve this out for you because you have shown that you can do it. And they, the person, the, the person who, had, who had inherited it was a large corporation, a large supplier. And they actually didn't like doing that. It was a little, I mean, because it's an order that's going to be, you know, 50, 100, $200 every time. The, um, so it worked out pretty well. But that's the kind of carve out that, that can help. I'm not saying to make it so that, you know, they get the business no matter what, but a carve out can do something that you could say, okay, this slot is for small businesses. And if we put somebody in here, we want to see that they can really perform. And then we will give them more opportunities if they keep performing. So that's the kind of thing that would really help people, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's work. And otherwise I've been to many seminars where um, large corporations will talk about it. And so one of the big ones will say, I, you know, I've heard them say things like, well, when we look at small businesses and minority businesses, we want to see $2 million a year for three years to show that you can perform. You cannot be, our business should not bring you more than 20% of your revenue. And so that's a big problem because for small companies, when they start working with a big company, they can be over 20% in a heartbeat. Those are rules that the large corporations tend, I mean, then they're doing it. They're, they say they're doing it for the small businesses protection. And in a way they are, because if they take that business away, the, the business could fold. And I've seen that with, um, say, a t-shirt company and they get all the t-shirt business, the, the company changes their mind, they fold. So it, it takes some serious planning to say, okay, we're a large corporation, but we want to help small businesses. 
We want to help small women's businesses, small minority businesses, and just in general, for that matter, and also to differently abled businesses. All of those things, you might have to kind of say, all right, let's do this in, in a special way. Intentionality. Yes. Yes. Good. I mean, That's exactly really right. talking about intention. That's exactly right. Because <laughs> saying, okay, in order to do this, you need to come up to our standards. In a way, um, you know, if you were doing construction, if you say you were doing it, you wanted to find some good contractors to build a building for you. I don't think there's any problem with saying, okay, we really have to get somebody who's really big and that, that can um, perform all these complicated things for us and also can be insured and up to, to a huge amount of money. Whereas, you know, if you were saying, okay, so somebody who's going to do the signs on the cubicles, what's the risk there? So risk, the, the large corporations are very risk averse. But I've never seen... Yeah. I mean, I've worked with lots of large corporations. They tend not to say, oh, what can I do for you? They don't really, they don't say that. <laughs> they say, what can you do for me? Right, right, right. So then in terms of the diversity classifications, because you had certifications being a minority-owned, women-owned small right. business. And although you may not have received, you know, tons of business that way, how important is it for from a certification perspective when you're when you're looking for business, especially now? Well, you know, I would say if you are a young business or well, whatever business, if you are capable of getting a certifications, yes, get them because you know they talk about opportunity. Good luck is when a hard work meets an opportunity, and you may have that opportunity. Um, it. It sometimes opens doors. Like if you have the supplier, um, uh, let's see, the supplier, a clearinghouse if, for the PUC, Public Utilities Commission. If you have the PUC um, certification, you will get invited to various meetings where they, the people who are looking for vendors, and it doesn't particularly mean just minority vendors, but sometimes it's just minority vendors, but they're, they're looking for vendors they will have meetings and you can go and, you know, make an attempt. You might have to make, you may have to go to three meetings and show up all three meetings and be ready to talk at all three meetings to different people who have booths or what have you. Maybe that will work. And um, if people have an opportunity, they, that's where you'll see it. And it, you can see a bunch of them in one, one day. I once went to Sacramento and it was, um, it was the city of Sacramento, I think that they, they had a fair and they said, okay, uh, if you sign up and you're a minority-owned or woman-owned company, we will sign up for you up for appointments for these, com- for these companies who think they can use you. And I'll be darned, I went to the meeting, I was there on time for my appointment and there was a table and you, you know they had like five vendors at a time coming at a table and I was in line, I'm waiting I ended up talking to this person for like 20 minutes and she said, okay, I'm taking all these names down and, um, and what they can do. And she called me back and she said, I've decided to use you. And she gave me about $50,000 worth of business in one shot. And I had never met her before. And it all worked out great. But that happened once in my 28 year <laughs> career. <laughs> but I was ready. I was ready to, to do that. And that's what you have to keep you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared to make a speech if you are 
you know, if somebody says, okay, talk about your company, you have to be able to do that. And I think I've, I've been to presentations where somebody says, well, what does your product look like? And they go, well, here, let me pull up a picture on my phone. You know, if you're showing a product, you better have some of it. You know, you better have something more than a picture on your phone. So you really have to be prepared in every sense of the word. Yes, indeed. Now, on a lighter note, knowing that you've just officially retired and now uh, sold the business, you know, I know you have a passion for diversity and inclusion and you have lots of hobbies. So what are you planning on doing next? Well, I just retired in March. And uh, the reason I did it was actually I've been trying to work on a retirement. I've been doing an exit strategy for the last three or four years. But I've had a couple of problems with that. One is business was so great that it's so hard to walk away from business was really doing great. And it was wonderful. And I was talking to a bunch of people. I was working through a broker, talking to a bunch of people who wanted to buy my business. The hard part was they were all, pardon my French, white guys. And I, I, I was just unmoved by that. And uh, I didn't think that all of my clients were going to be happy with that arrangement. So I, I was thinking, well, maybe I could just find the right person who's a minority or a woman or something. So I was really, it was really tough. And in my, you know, like 25 years, 20, 27 years of um, previous to that, I had thought, well, it would be great if I could sell to, you know, Carolyn who used to work for me. I mean, she worked for me. She, um, she's my sister by coincidence, but she has many years experience. She, we kind of think alike. And people even say we sound alike on the phone. And she knew my clients and she could talk to them. And we'd often come up with the same ideas. Like sometimes we were, we would work on a big project and we'd look at what we both came up with and they wouldn't be many matches. I, Financially, it would have been way hard to sell to her because the dollar signs just weren't working. But I had pulled the company through two huge cataclysms, 9-11 and the recession of 2008-2009. And I did it and I went into huge debt and I didn't declare bankruptcy. I just kept going. I made it work. I came back and was profitable. So I did it twice. I said, I don't want to do it a third time because I knew in some ways, COVID has some similarities to 9-11 because, you know, all air travel was closed down. We, oh, yes. and, and it did not come back for months and months after. Um, I think the, the return is going to be even longer in this situation. All meetings were canceled. I mean, all, everything was canceled. And it's hard to come back from that, but we did. So at this point, I thought, wait a minute. At this point, I could afford to sell my business at a reasonable amount to Carolyn and know that she's, my clients are getting exactly the kind of care they want. And I don't have to deal with these other people. So it just was perfect for me. And I, I have to say, if you, if I were under the gun, like I had a lot of debt or whatever, I wouldn't have been able to do it that way, but it worked out just perfectly. So if I was willing to wait another year to sell, Ooh, I might not. I don't, I don't, I didn't want to do that, but uh, she's doing fine. She's doing fine. If there's, there's not a lot of business around, but then her, her, um, she's not in debt herself. So she's, she's making it work. And so she'll come out fine in another eight months or so, I think. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely a different type of recovery, um, especially knowing that there's potentially kind of the second wave of closures and and things coming back. So it is challenging, especially when, you know, you can't have events for a promotional yeah, that's right. company, that's obviously. Right. Exactly. That's kind of uh, a big deal. But I will tell you, I get pro- promotional gifts sent to my house now. <laughs> so it's uh, kind of funny how things have shifted a little bit and people aren't so worried about getting addresses and, and sending out um, yes. those uh, yes. promotional uh, yes. items. Yes, I think our, my particular industry is going to change. There are, there are changes in the wind. And I think, you know, some of the corporations have said, you know, we like how people are doing working at home. They can do it forever if they want. And that's like, whoa. Um, I do think that a combination of working from home and, I don't know, one day a week, one day, two, every two weeks of having some sort of pod meeting, that's because face-to-face has some benefits, has some real benefits. Definitely. That's, yeah. that's something to think about. So uh, over time, though, like a lot of the companies that we do business with are um, training company, training the training sections. They're doing all remote training now. And that might last for quite a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome, Liz. Thank you so much for joining me. Lots of nuggets in there regarding supplier diversity and small business advice. So um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective always. All right. Well, thank you so much. Great to talk to you, Melissa. You too, my dear. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.